uh, last week, I uh, started talking about what it is for us to, as the body of Christ, uh, live together in freedom. Because a couple weeks ago, I, I talked about what it is to have individual liberty, individual freedom, and how Christ has set us free for freedom's sake. But now we need to talk about what it is to live together uh, as a family of God in freedom. Because a lot of times, the exercise of your freedom might in, uh, in, uh, infringe upon the freedom of another individual. And how do we do that in such a way that we bring honor to the, to the kingdom and to one another, right? And so I talked about uh, that last week and talked about how it all hinges on this thing called deference and how deference is really the key to it all. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. And so Paul was talking about, uh, you know, how for him as a believer, he had freedom. He had liberty. That he wasn't bound by Old Testament, Testament legalism and rules and regulations about, you know, uh, you know, things. And they uses the illustrations in the scripture of meat sacrificed idols and all kinds of other things. And so Paul was talking about that. But he's trying to help us understand how to do this together in the community of faith. And uh, I talked about how the, there's a difference between deference and hypocrisy. And how that um, hypocrisy is one of those things that gets thrown around a lot. Hypocrisy is the practice of claiming to have a moral standard or belief to which one's own behavior does not conform. It's pretense. It's somebody feigning high principles. And uh, so I gave the example, for example, if, you, if I stood up here as a pastor and, uh, and I condemned uh, drinking in any form and then went home and, and, and had a couple pints, that's hypocrisy, Right? You stand in the pulpit and you, or you in your life in the public arena, declare one thing and then go home and practice something else, that's hypocrisy, right? Then we talked about deference. And uh, deference is uh, a liberty that we possess, but we choose not to exercise it. And that is the opposite of living hip hypocritically. So when I possess a liberty which I willfully decline to exercise for the sake of others, it's not a hypocrite. It is practicing deference. And it's the opposite of hypocrisy. Deference is living out of respect for or in consideration of in deference to others. It is placing the needs of others above your own. So, do you understand what I mean? So that would be, if you go back to the alcohol example, that would be knowing that you have a freedom in Christ to be able to have a drink, but you're out with somebody that you know would be offended by it, so you don't bother to do it because you don't want to cause them offense. Do you see how that is completely the opposite of hypocrisy? Does everybody see the difference? Clear? Got it? All right. Okay. Good. So, in Scripture, hypocrisy is maligned, but deference is applauded. And then we started to talk about how it's applauded in Scripture. Deference is a mark of maturity. And I'm just going to whip right through this. And, uh, and how the, the road of grace is filled with the debris of lies destroyed by reckless living of immature and religious believers. So the immature are the ones who maybe get a hold of a liberty and then exercise it at all costs because it's my freedom. It's my right to do this, and they cause all kind of carnage. But the religious are the ones who condemn people all the time for anything that they do. And both of those things leave a wreckage behind them uh, in, the, in the body of Christ. So I asked the question at the end of the message last week, you know, from the garden, am I my brother's keeper? 
The answer is yes, right? Remember, it wasn't a spiritual uh, context in which that question was made. Cain had just killed his brother Abel, and God says, where's your brother? He goes, am I my brother's keeper? He's, uh, this is a murderer trying to justify his, uh, himself. So when walk, people use that as a justification for not getting involved in someone's affairs, you're quoting a murderer. Just remember that. Not a really great way to start your day, all right? So uh, the truth of the matter is, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is a resounding yes. You have been called to be concerned about the status of your brother's or sister's spiritual life. And, uh, and then I talked about how Paul, in the scripture, said, we'll go back to our verse we started with, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Everything is permissible, but not everything is constructive. How do you know if something's beneficial or constructive? And Paul answered the question, ended with this in the next verse, and he said in verse 24, nobody should seek his own good, but the good of others. So if you want to know whether it is beneficial or whether it is constructive, ask yourself that question. Ask yourself, am I doing this for my own good or am I seeking the good of others? All right? If we can get this down, man, we can do a lot for the kingdom of God. And then I ended with this quote, no man is an island, every man is a piece of the continent. Nobody lives unto themselves. Nobody is able to say, well, I can do what I want. I remember years ago that a professional uh, basketball player was questioned about his uh, off-court activities. And, and someone said to him, you know, uh, aren't, don't you realize you're supposed to be an example to young uh, men, women everywhere who love the game of basketball? And he said, I'm not an example. I'm just, I'm just an athlete. And as soon as... You take a paycheck for that. As soon as you receive remittance for it, you are an example. You are a professional in that field. And you do set the standard of what that person is, both on the court and off the court. Everybody understand what I'm saying? And so he, he was absolutely wrong in what he was saying. He is an example. And he is setting an example every day by the way that he chooses to live. And, uh, yeah. All right. So part two of that this morning. So I wanted to explain this and, and show you biblically how Paul applies the concept of deference throughout the scripture. And there's a, there's a chapter in the Bible that's literally the entire chapter is dedicated to this conversation. And it's Romans chapter 14. Now Paul also talks about this in other places in scripture. But in, in, in Romans chapter 14, Paul literally goes verse by verse through this. And, and I'm going to do a running commentary this morning. I've never done this before, but I'm going to do a running commentary on a chapter of the Bible this morning. So I want, if you've got your Bible with you, I want you to turn to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, the whole chapter, verses 1 to 23. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to read it through first. And then... After I've read it through, we're going we're gonna to kind of just do a... Anybody know what a commentary is? Everybody, everybody own a set of commentaries? You got a commentary at home? Uh, Matthew Henry's famous commentary, you got one of those? And it's literally him uh, explaining the context or the history or what the actual writer's trying to say. They bring in things about language and different things. That's a commentary on the passage, and that's what we're going to do here this morning. But let's look at this passage of Scripture, starting at verse 1. This is what Paul says. He said, accept him whose faith is weak without passing judgment on disputable matters. One man's faith 
allows him to eat everything. But another man whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. Message there for every vegetarian in the room. Uh, the man who eats everything must not look down on him who does not, and the man who does not eat everything must not condemn the man who does, for God has accepted him. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Verse 5, one man considers one day more sacred than another. Another man considers every day alike. So he's moved from food now to talking about Sabbaths or sacred days. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards one day as special does so to the Lord. He who eats meat eats to the Lord. He who gives thanks to God and he who abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Verse 9. For this very reason Christ died and returned to life, so that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. You then, why do you judge your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we all will stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me, every tongue will come uh, to God. Verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in your brother's way. As one who is in the Lord Jesus, I am fully convinced that no food is clean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for him it is unclean. If your brother is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy your brother for whom Christ died. Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken evil of. Uh, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way is pleasing to God and approved by men. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and to mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else that will cause your brother to fall. So, whatever you believe about these things, keep between uh, yourself and God. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. But the man who has doubts is condemned if he eats because his eating is not from faith and everything that does not come from faith is sin. All right. Now that is a Probably the most scripture at one time you've heard read here at Desert Stream. All right? That's a lot of scripture. Everybody say a lot of scripture. That's a whole chapter of the Bible. And now we're going to help you understand what he was saying. Father, we just ask for your grace as we look at the word of God this morning. Father, we're asking for you to enlighten us and help us to understand uh, things that were written uh, long ago. Uh, 2,000 years ago, and yet how relevant they are and how they apply to us today as we live together in the community of faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So Paul's first point, accept him who is weak in the faith without passing judgment. We're to accept those who are weak in the faith, those who are weaker than you may perceive yourself to be. All right? Those who are weak in the faith. And, uh, and Paul's pretty clear about who are those who are weak in the faith. They're not those who lack the knowledge of Scripture or of Christ or in whom have believe, uh, they've believed, but they're rather uh, those 
and this is uh, from Matthew Henry, Henry's commentary, who says, whose faith lacks the firmness and breadth which would raise it above small scruples. What does that mean? Uh, in other words, the weak is one who, whose faith uh, does not allow them to get beyond uh, cultural habits or issues, things that are considered really small. They're not sin issues, they're small issues. Uh, and, uh, and to be able to get past those things and to not see them as sin. And there are people who get bound up by all the cultural stuff that was happening in their day and what was perceived to be right or to be wrong. Now, we have those things today, and I don't know how many churches have been destroyed by this kind of stuff. I mean, yes, last week we talked about alcohol, but sometimes it gets as simple as, you know, the church didn't sing any hymns today. Everybody knows you got to have a hymn. I mean, church worship is hymns. If you don't have hymns, you don't have worship. And, you know, that posture, that ability to, be, uh, to not see beyond that framework is a, is a weakness. Is a weakness. Because, I mean, if you want to get technical, and the, you know, worship began 2,000 years ago in the church, it was just all psalms. They just sang the scripture. And then as time went by, other people started to write hymns and uh, you know, and began, I mean, you know, if you look back far enough, I mean, uh, church worship was all Gregorian chants. How many want that? Uh, you know, uh, the reality is, is that each time, each generation unfolds as time stamps forward or walks forward, things change. And one generation uh, who discovers a new freedom uh, gets judged by the previous generation who does not have that freedom. Does everybody know what I'm talking about? And it happens about some of the most ridiculous things, and the result is the division of the body of Christ. And so Paul here, uh, in his first comment, is accept him who's weak in the faith without passing judgment. So I find that interesting. We're supposed to accept the one who's weak, even though we know, we who are strong say, we know they're wrong. But Paul says accept them. Accept them. So I used the example last week of, of, of alcoholism. So, you know, a person might say, I, I, I know I'm free to have a, a drink. But this brother or sister is, is so wrapped up in, in their, their old uh, ideologies that they don't have the same liberty, and, and so I need to help them out. No, that's not what Paul's saying. He's saying instead, don't judge them. Don't judge them. Do not judge them. Someone say amen. amen. All right. So let's move on to the next point that he says. The one whose faith is strong allows him to eat everything. So individuals like Paul, whose faith was strong, Paul knew that he could eat anything. And, and this isn't really about uh, whether you're a meditarian or a vegetarian. All right? That's not, that's not what this was about. This was about the fact that it was well known that after meat was brought to, the, to pagan temples and sacrificed, then it was taken and it was sold in the market. And many of the Jewish believers would not touch that meat because it was considered to be tainted. And they wouldn't touch it. I know, for example, today in our culture, something you've maybe never seen before, but now is becoming quite common. You go to the grocery store and you'll see products that are halal. Have you ever seen that? Halal meat or whatever. And that is products that have uh, been, either if it's meat, it's meat that's been killed or slaughtered in a way that's consistent with the Islamic faith. And, uh, and so I know some Christians who wouldn't touch that because they think it, and it and may have also the, the factory or the, the uh, abattoir would have been blessed by an imam. And so they say, I'm not going to touch that because that's, that's you know, uh, culturally tainted meat. And then other Christians go, 
Steak's a steak's a steak. I don't care who slaughtered it, right? You know what I'm saying? This is more along the lines of what Paul was dealing with here. And so Paul was saying, you know, the one whose faith is strong uh, lets him eat everything. And so, you know, the person who's uh, got a strong faith is the one who realizes that it's, it doesn't matter. What they're basically saying is they understand that it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles a person. It's what comes out of the mouth that is problematic, right? And so that's what it means to walk in strength. And then Paul goes on, though, and in verse 3, he says, Neither one, though, should look down on the other. And I think this is a really important point. Paul did not seize this opportunity of his own liberty to be uh, as an opportunity to convert all the weak. Right? Paul's looking out at the spiritual landscape and he's seeing all of these Jewish Christians who are bound uh, and, and who won't eat this meat sacrificed to idol or who may not be free enough to, to have a drink of wine or what else, uh, whatever cultural things. He gets into Sabbaths and all kinds of stuff, and Paul knows that those things don't matter, right? But Paul does not use this as an opportunity to try and convince the weak that they're wrong. Isn't that something? But he knows they're wrong. He knows they're, he even identifies them as being weaker. Paul doesn't make any effort to try and change their mind. In fact, just the opposite. Just the opposite. Paul uh, goes to uh, them and he advocates the same posture for people on both sides of the spectrum. Paul doesn't try to convince anybody of anything. Instead, he calls upon the weak and the strong both to exercise what he considers to be the more, most elemental. Everybody say elemental. elemental. The most elemental practice, which is the practice of not judging one another. Someone say amen. amen. Paul says the most basic thing in the kingdom should be not judging one another. Hello? Now again, please understand the context in which Paul's talking. He's not dealing with sin issues. He's not saying that you shouldn't confront the town gossip and say you're probably not, you know, honoring God with your tongue. No, we should still be willing to confront sin, but many of these things have nothing to do with sin. These are cultural taboos. And Paul is saying, you got to stop judging one another. Everybody say amen. amen. And then to drive it home, he makes this statement, which at first seems a little weird. Uh, he says, who are we right, to, to be the person who judges someone else's servant? What was he trying to say? He was saying, you're all claiming to be servants of God, so why are you judging the other child of God? Right? Why are you judging someone else's servant? Why are you, I mean, I'm a servant of God, so if you judge me, you're judging God's servant. Right? You're a servant of God. If I judge you, I'm judging God's servant. Paul says, who do you think you are to judge God's servant? Hello? Who do you think you are to judge one another? Everybody, he goes on to say, stands to his own master, and that master is the one who makes him able to stand. We all are under God as our master, and he's the one who's able to make us stand. And so we got to park this judgment of one another over these issues. The same liberty and non-judgment applies to treating a day as sacred. And this is, this is where Paul turns the argument from meat, and he starts talking about sacred days. Now, there's, it's funny, because I found in the commentaries uh, people who were divided over whether he's talking about the Sabbath or other Jewish holidays. What difference does it make? 
pages of commentary trying to prove their point. He was talking about the Sabbath. No, he was talking about other religious festivals. I think that's hilarious because you're only reinforcing Paul's point. I mean, these guys are going at each other in the commentaries about who's, who's right about what kind of days he's talking about. It's like you're missing the whole spirit of the scripture. Stop judging one another. Does it matter which ones he's talking about? Hello? Now, I know some people that, man, you don't work on Sunday. What's wrong with you? You don't work on Sunday. That's just wrong. God, you, you, you have to take a Sabbath rest. We won't even touch whether, you know, you can call Sunday Sabbath when it was actually Saturday. But um, the, the point is, for them, it's a really strongly held conviction. Sherry came from a family where they didn't work on Sunday. Every Sunday was rest day. So mom and dad would lay down for a nap, and kids were like, oh, Sundays are so boring, it's rest day. So they'd sneak out the windows and crawl out of the house and leave in any way they could to go find something to do because they weren't even supposed to play a sport or anything on Sunday because it's, it's the Lord's day. It's, it's a sacred day. And for some people, this is really, really an important thing. And, they, and, and they, they have such a strong opinion about this, such a strong faith stance about it. And to other people, I was raised in a home, I got to admit, where every day was the same. And we always went to church on Saturday night. We were true Sabbath people. We did, it. we did it on Saturday. We were, uh, you know, my dad liked the Saturday Mass in the Catholic Church because it was a low Mass. It was about 25 minutes. He could set his watch by it. We were in and out, had all day Sunday to work. And so we took Sunday. Sunday was a work day. So in my, when I grew up, we used every Sunday as a day to cut wood, to, you know, mow the grass, to do all that stuff because we'd already done, in my dad's mind, the religious thing on Saturday night. It was out of the way, right? So now we were free to just dive right in and, and, you know, do whatever we needed to get done on Sunday. So obviously my dad didn't really have any hang-ups about, you know, one day being, you know, for rest. Uh, and my dad was, no, no, the, my dad's favorite saying was, plenty of time to rest when you're dead. <laughs> and uh, might have something to do with why he expired at 56. Got all those, those years in so quick. But the reality is that was what he would say. He would say, son, plenty of time to rest. I'd be wanting to sleep in on a weekend or something. Plenty of time to rest when you're dead. Get up. we got work to do. And we'd go out and we'd get stuff done. The point that I'm getting at is that, you know, some people, uh, this is a really big issue. This is a really big issue. And so Paul here wants to make something clear to all of us, right? The same liberty and non-judgment applies to the treatment of every day as sacred. Or any day as sacred, I should say. Do you understand what I'm saying? That if, if you know somebody for whom having a Sabbath day's rest and not working on that day is like a, a sacred thing, it's not your place to convince them they're wrong. It's not your place to be able to go, you know what, you're just living under law. Paul never says that in the scripture. In fact, what he says is don't judge the person. But similarly, if you know a brother or sister who's you know, working seven days a week, uh, and, you know, you might have the right or authority to be able to say, you know, you really should take some rest because, it's, it's, you know, you're going to wear yourself out. But you can't do it from a religious perspective. You can't say, well, you can't do that because you need to keep a Sabbath. Paul says, no. No, you can't be judging each other that way. Does everybody follow what I'm saying? All right. Let's, uh, I'm getting awful quiet in here. Whew. All right. These quiet ones, I'll tell you, they sneak up and bite you just like that. I'm going to skip ahead to verse 7. 
Paul makes another interesting statement. He said, none of us basically lives uh, to himself alone. Now, there are two considerations in this one statement. First of all, you know, Paul's saying none of us lives unto ourselves alone because we live unto God, right? So we can't just live out our life uh, unconcerned about what God thinks. We have to live our lives in constant communication with the Father uh, and making sure that we're living a life or, or in any way that was possible within us that is honoring to God. But the second half of this, when Paul says none of us, you know, uh, lives unto ourselves alone, he's talking about the fact that we're not isolated from one another. That I can't live out my faith uh, without being considerate of how my faith and how I live my faith affects my brothers and sisters. So that, that means a lot of things. Let me get real practical on this. Not just eating and drinking and Sabbaths, but let's take on a little thing called social media. Oh, you're not going to go there. Yes, I am. Yep. You knew I would. So, <laughs> But you know... Some people feel it's their place to comment on everything that someone posts. And today, the internet gives us to, the opportunity to comment and to sound, you know, like we've got our, the right two cents worth to drop on any particular topic. And so somebody puts a post and we either, you know, write some lengthy thing about how we agree with it or we chew the person out publicly and all the rest of it. And we forget that, that Facebook and all these other social media platforms... They're, they're, they're not like, how could I uh, compare that? It's not like sitting down and talking to your hairdresser. Or more common modern metaphor, your bartender. No, it's like, it's like putting everything you have out in your front yard. It's still your property. It's still your space, but everybody gets to see it. That's what social media is. It's not a personal conversation between two people. It is maybe your space. Yep, this is my space. And it's not your business what I do in my space. But the whole world is watching. Right? It's like married couple having sex in their front lawn. Is it okay for them to do it? Sure. But should you be doing it? No! No! Sorry, kids. I didn't mean to disturb your ears there. Sorry about that. But you understand what I'm saying forgot they were in here for a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be right on the Twitterverse afterwards. There it is, you know. Barry's already lo loading this one up right now, even as we speak. <laughs> oh. <laughs> do you understand what Paul's getting at here? <laughs> everything you do is, is an example to everyone else. Paul used, used another phrase of scripture. He said, we are living epistles being read by all men. So that your life, he's saying, is being studied by everyone around you. You are being read constantly by the world around you. And you need to recognize that, that you don't live your life in isolation. You live your life as an example for those that are around you. Amen. Verse 12, he makes a, basically a bunch of other statements, and the summary of which is each of us will give an account to God. That each of us is going to have to stand before God one day and give an account for our lives. And, uh, you know, the thing is that if we've lived by grace, then that's not a scary day. 
If we live by grace, having to give an account for my life is not a scary day because I'm not actually, here's the thing we have to realize. When you stand before God and it says, he says you're going to have to give an account for your life, do you realize that you don't actually give an account for your sins? I'm going to stretch your theology here a little bit this morning. But either Jesus took my sins on the cross or he didn't. Right? Either they're under the blood or they're not. Either they've been forgiven or they haven't. So if they have, then when I stand before God, right, is he judging me for my sins? No. Because he doesn't see them. They've been blotted out by the blood of Christ. Okay. Then what are we going to give an answer to God for? That's a very good question. What are we going to give an answer to God for? We're going to have to give an answer to God for this stuff that Paul's talking about in Romans chapter 14. About whether we lived by faith or not. Hello? That's it. The answer we're going to have to give to God is, is basically, we're going to have to give an account to God about what did you do with the freedom and the liberty that I gave you? What did you do with the opportunities? What did you do with the faith? What did you do in your life with the privilege that I gave you as a king and a queen in the kingdom of God? That's what we're going to give an account for. It isn't going to be about our sin. It's going to be about things that aren't sin issues. It's going to be about did you use your life to encourage or to bless or to cause somebody to stumble? None of these things are sin issues we're talking about here today. But they still cause people to stumble because whether they're strong or weak. You get what Paul's talking about. And you're going to have to stand before God, and you're going to, he's going to say, what did you do with all that privilege I gave you? What's that? Yeah. But he's going to ask us. And, I'm going to, and I hope we're all able to say, you know, Paul you said in Scripture to Titus, I think it was, one day you're going to stand before the Lord, and you're either going to be able to present, you know, things made of precious jewels, gems, or whatever, or wood, hay, or stubble. Right? What did you build, in other words, with what he gave you? Never says he's going to judge your sin. No, because that's all taken care of. But what did you do with what he gave you? Right? That's what he wants to do. To know, I should say. What did you do with what I gave you? And that's what we'll stand before God and give an account for. It's kind of like receiving an inheritance. And what did you do with the inheritance? You already got the inheritance because you're already blood. What did you do with it, though? What did you do with it? All right. Let me move along or we're going to run out of time. So rather than judging one another, verse 13, make up your mind not to be a stumbling block to your brother. This is really where it starts to get down to making, you know, the rubber and the road make contact. You know, uh, rather than sitting there judging one another about whether they drink or don't drink or keep the Sabbath or don't keep the Sabbath or live as a vegetarian or as a meditarian or whether they are, are on social media or not in social media or whether they do this or whether they do all these things that are not sin issues, they're just things. They're just things and activities that are there out for us in our life. So rather than judging one another, why don't you instead make up your mind. Everybody say make up your mind. Up your mind. What's that mean? Decide. Make a decision. Not to be a stumbling block. So you make a conscious decision. In other words, Paul's saying to practice deference. To be willing as somebody who's strong to not to do anything to cause the weak to stumble. Whew. That's what Paul's saying. Instead of judging one another, he's, a, he's addressing the strong here now. Because he says rather than judging one another, why don't you make a decision not to be a stumbling block? 
That is so hard to do. Because you might have some real revelatory freedom that God's given you about something. And you just want everybody to walk in that same level of freedom. But it's not a sin issue. So Paul just says, you know, why don't you instead of judging the person who's not walking in the same freedom, and you actually make the really mature decision not to allow your life to be a stumbling block to somebody else. Oh, wow. But it's my freedom. It's my right. And our whole world is obsessed with rights today. Obsessed. And 80% of the things they're obsessed with are not human rights at all. They're human privilege that exists in our culture and in our society because we have a free and democratic society. But if you get a hold of the United Nations 48 Articles of Freedom, many of the things that we're squabbling about aren't listed there at all because they're not actually international rights or freedoms. Because if they were, 80% of the world's living without their freedom. Right? And so we're obsessed with that today. We're obsessed with it because we're an I culture. It's all about me. Rather than living as a we culture. Rather than being concerned about our brother or our sister or the person, our, our neighbor, whatever. And this goes both ways, folks. I mean, it's for those who are trying to reshape the landscape and the image of man. It also goes for the church who wants to beat people down because they have different ideas than you do. You need to find a way to communicate the message of the gospel with, this is crazy and this is radical, but with love. How about, just try this, before somebody hears your opinion, how about they hear how much or see how much you love them? Right? So how about before they know your opinion, they know that you love them? Isn't that good? Yeah, you can tweet that, Barry. You can, uh, you can get a hold of that and throw that out in social media. <laughs> That's social media place. <laughs> All right, I got to move on because we're running out of time. Interestingly, Paul just lays it right out, plain and simple. Okay, if there's any debate beforehand, Paul answers it right now. No food is unclean in itself. Everybody say, no food. But if someone regards something as unclean, for them, it's unclean. So Paul says, you know, just to be clear, no food is unclean in itself. That goes for everything from halal chicken to a pork sandwich to a salad. <laughs> no food is unclean in itself. But if someone regards something as unclean, then for everyone else it's unclean. Is that what it says? If someone regards something as unclean, then for everybody else it's unclean. Is that what he says? No. If someone regards something as unclean, then for them it is unclean. All right? For them it's unclean. All right? That's important to know. And, uh, you know, Paul is answering decades of debate of what's clean and all the rest of it. And he's reminding them again, it's not what goes in. It's what comes out that makes us unclean. And isn't it interesting that even in the first century church, they had the same struggles we have today with trying to deal with, not about what goes in, but what comes out of the mouth is unclean. And Paul knows that no food is unclean. But, you know, he's, he's saying, you know what, you might think that the loving thing is to convince your brother or sister that that, that meat that they won't eat is clean and that they can go ahead and eat it. That might seem like the most loving thing to do, but again, Paul says no, because for them... If for them, in where they're at in their journey with Christ, 
if they haven't had a personal revelation, if they haven't had some kind of a shift in their own thinking, if for them it's unclean, then how are we supposed to treat them? Without what? Judgment. It all comes back to that again, doesn't it? Wow. Wow. Now, Paul's next statement in verse 16, he says, Do not allow what you consider good to be spoken of as evil. And people have quoted this many times out of context. Don't, don't allow your good to be uh, evil spoken of, right? Heard that before many times. But you can't take it out of context. It's, it's in the context of deferring to one another. And, and the only way that your good gets spoken evil of is if you try to uh, lord your liberty over someone else. So let's give an example. Supposing you, you have a liberty and a freedom. And we'll go back to the one that's culturally fairly strong here in North America, and that would be of drinking alcohol. And so, you know, you, you've, you have this liberty to be able to have a pint or to have a glass of wine, and uh, how in the world does that get spoken evil of? Well, it gets spoken evil of when you take that liberty and you flaunt it in front of somebody who does not have that liberty, and now they start cursing you and speaking evil of you because, and you would think the judgment would be on the one uh, alone who is speaking the evil. Paul says, no, 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 it's also on you because you allowed your good, your life, your freedom, your grace to be spoken evil of. Why? Because you lived it in such a way that it, you in, impugned upon somebody else's freedom. Whew. But this is hard. Yes, you're right. It's very hard. But how many know the road to righteousness is never easy? It's simple, but it's not easy. Simple, but not easy. Not complicated, but still hard. Everybody know what I'm talking about? It's not complicated, but man, does it ever demand a lot from us in terms of how we're going to live our lives in front of other people. And we have to do this if we really, truly want to be the body of Christ, encouraging and building one another up. For the kingdom of God is not about eating and drinking, but about righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. This verse gets quoted a lot. Again, out of context, what Paul's saying, in other words, for the kingdom of God isn't about whether you're eating meat sacrificed to idols or whether you're drinking wine or whether you're keeping the Sabbath or not keeping the Sabbath, but it's about righteousness, who I am in Christ, peace, that living amongst one another, and joy, celebrating it in the Holy Ghost. That's what it's really all about. Wow. Okay, moving on. Make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. So we need to make every effort then to do what causes us to, you know, uh, maintain that it's not about food or drink, but it's about righteousness, joy, and peace in the Holy Ghost. Every effort to mutual edification. Uh, then Paul starts to summarize. He says, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. This goes for people on both sides of the spectrum here. Whether you are sitting here this morning saying, I don't know how the pastor could even consider that somebody could have a drink and still be saved. Or whether somebody could even be possibly be on social media and be saved. Or whether, whether you're having these struggles or not in your mind, Paul's saying, don't destroy the work of God over food, over drink, over social media, over any other of these things or discourses. Don't destroy the work of God, for all food is clean, but, it's wrong, but it is wrong for man to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. So is it, it's wrong for the man who, for him it is unclean to eat it, because he's himself eating not in faith, but it's also wrong 
for the person who's with him to eat it in his presence because they're causing him to stumble. Right? Does that make sense? Wow. All right. It's better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that will cause your brother to fall. Now, he's not saying, uh, you know, we have to go out of this place and never eat another steak. But if you're with somebody who's a vegetarian and who would be offended by your steak, then don't eat the steak. <gasps> really? Yeah. That's, that's compassionate consideration. Thank God I've not met a vegetarian yet that's that militant, but if I meet one, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to take one for the team. You know, but it's the same thing with everything else. If it's going to cause your brother to stumble, don't do it. Don't do it. All right. Blessed is the man who does not condemn himself by what he approves. This is a, goes back to that previous statement. Blessed are you if you, live your, if you don't allow your liberty to condemn you. And how does that happen? It happens when you live your liberty and you live it out with people that have a problem with it. And so, therefore, they start thinking condemning thoughts over you. Is it there wrong for them to do that too? Yep, Paul's already covered that. But it's going to happen anyway. So Paul's saying, don't, don't, uh, you know, allow yourself to live in such a way that other people uh, disapprove of you. Uh, again, did I say this was going to be easy? Nope. Very, very, very difficult. And then Paul start, sums it all up and he says, everything that is not done from faith is sin. Everything that's not done from faith is sin. Now, this is a, a strong word. Everybody say strong word. The strong word. Everything that's not done from faith is sin. So in other words, if, if you don't truly have a spiritual uh, handle on it, freedom, and you partake in it, then you're sinning. What could that look like? Well, Supposing uh, you're a person who came to Christ, but you've been an alcoholic before. Probably not a good idea for you to go out and test the waters and see whether you can still have a drink or not. No, you just need to leave that thing alone. Because you wouldn't be doing it in faith. You'd be doing it in trying to test the waters in a, in a kind of see where I'm at, kind of whatever thing. You're not doing it in faith knowing that there's absolutely no way that this would ever cause me to be dragged back in again. If you don't know that, if you don't have that liberty from Christ, then you can't touch it. You need to leave that thing alone. Same thing goes for Sabbath keeping. The same thing goes for anything. You need to be able to do it in solid faith, knowing that this is something I can do, and in doing it, still honor the Lord. And if you can't do that, then don't do it. It's simple, Paul says. It's really simple. And, and to be able to do it from that place of faith, and uh, this goes for so many other areas in our life too. You know, maybe you want to play around the stock market. Can you do it in faith? Do you, do you really have a solid strength and walk with Christ that would enable you to be able to do that? And, and, uh, and if it didn't peter out, know that somehow God's still going to take care of you? Or are you going to sit at home curled up into a little fetal position sucking your thumb because you lost all your fortune? Whew. See, these things get really practical. Paul says we have to be able to do it in faith. In faith. We have to be able to do it in faith. And faith means doing it in a way that we don't cause anyone else to stumble and that we are able to honor God. If we can't do it in those two things, 
then we are not the, uh, at liberty to do it, period. Uh, Cecil Marinville, he said this, he said, put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion when it comes to eating meat versus vegetarianism, fasting or not fasting, or on any given day, or about diet in general, right? For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion. <laughs> we could just stop right there, couldn't we? Put a higher value on keeping unity in the community of believers than on your personal opinion, period. Wow, 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 wow. Well, I just had to confront them, Pastor, because they were wrong. Were they, were they biblically sin wrong or just opposite of your opinion wrong? Right? You know? Because if, if you ain't got chapter and verse to stand upon, shut up. Oh, man, is it ever quiet here today. I need a few more amens. Come on. I mean, it's insecure fella. I got to have some amens. Oh, let me, uh, let me close this out this morning. It's 11.38. So, yeah, yeah, 38. Yep, there it is. So, final, final thing I'm going to put up here. Remember I said Paul has the same conversation in a couple other places. He has it in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. He has it again. It was obviously an issue has it again in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And this is what Paul says at the end of chapter 10, and I think it's a beautiful summary of this whole thing. He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Do not cause anyone to stumble, whether Jews, Greeks, or the church of God, even as I try to please everybody in every way. For I am not seeking my own good, but the good of many, so that they may be saved. Wow, that is the heart of it all. I'm not seeking my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Let's stand together this morning. Praise the Lord. Father, we just ask for your grace. I know this has been pretty, uh, uh, you know, just textual this morning, going through verses and giving a commentary on those passages, not the usual Sunday message you would experience, but Father, we need to grapple with these things because, Lord, we seem to stumble so often over the elemental thing Paul says, that of not judging one another, let alone getting this stuff down what it means to walk by faith, live by faith, uh, to live our lives in such a way that we're considerate of one another. Uh, you know, and Father, we just need your help. We need your help. And Father, we ask God that you would guide us in this journey in Christ Jesus, that Lord, we would be able to do what Paul says here, uh, that uh, not seek my own good, but the good of many so that they may be saved. Father, uh, it's not about me. Everybody say this morning, it's not about me. Father, it's about you. And it's about others. And Father, we uh, place uh, you first and then we defer to others. As Paul said, we don't think about ourselves, but we place others before ourselves. We do that this morning and we do it by the grace that is given to us by Jesus Christ. And we thank you today in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I did say I had an announcement this morning. Babies in the nursery again. 
I've been, I've been working really hard to try and get an announcement of four generations of Lowenberger here today. Uh, but the baby's out in the nursery all the time. And, uh, but uh, Sean and Holly have a little granddaughter uh, here, Charlotte, who has, has been going out. And uh, so we're just really excited that Carl and Tears, that you guys have had this beautiful blessing in your lives. And we're so excited for you. And so we have four generations of the family here today. Isn't that great? Praise the Lord. I was, hoping, I was hoping that maybe great-grandpa could just, you know, have grabbed her and kind of paraded her around the church here this morning for us, but uh, whether, whether, you know, you know kind of hold, hold up the trophy child, but anyway, uh, we're very excited about that. Bless you guys. It's awesome to have you here this morning, and uh, I want you to know, Carl, you've made the mom and dad, uh, the grandma and grandpa, I should say, here very proud. Uh, you know, Sean was flipping through the pictures last week, just going crazy like every grandpa's supposed to. And uh, I was pretty impressed. So we're, we just bless you guys. It's awesome. So glad that you're here this morning. Man, have an awesome week. We'll see you next Sunday. Got a barn burner for you next Sunday. Don't miss it. It's going to be awesome. Going to shock your world, rock you. Uh, I don't know how else I can put it, but we don't want you to miss it. God bless you.